Throughout this episode, you'll hear occasional dynamically placed advertisements as well as host-read ads by me promoting the work of my sponsors, similar to what you'd experience when you're binging your favorite YouTube content. If you find the ads disruptive, consider joining my community on Patreon. Premium submarines receive full-length ad-free episodes, hundreds of hours of bonus content, and the ability to connect and chat with other listeners. To learn more, visit patreon.com slash backfromtheborderline. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. You have entered back from the borderline, where we walk willingly into the darkness within our minds and return home to ourselves transformed. I'm your host, Molly. I spent most of my life numbing the pain and emptiness inside me, unaware that my self-sabotaging behaviors and thoughts were destroying my ability to connect with myself and other people. One day, I decided I was sick enough of my own bullshit to hear life calling, telling me it was time for a change, and I decided to answer that call. On this podcast, we'll learn that when we see ourselves as the hero of our own journey, it gives us the best chance at finding our inner truth and integrity. Together, We'll learn to hold complex feelings, expand our consciousness and self-awareness while making meaning of our suffering. Are you ready to find out who you are underneath the weight of everything that's been keeping you stuck? If the answer is yes, follow me down the rabbit hole of psychological and spiritual growth. I'm so glad you're here. And with that, let's dive straight in to the episode. So before we dive into our topic today, which is the FP favorite person relationship, there have been a few social media posts that I've seen in the last few weeks that I have been saving because I wanted to read them on the pod and provide my reaction because they have deeply moved me and I wanted to share them with each and every one of you. The very first post I want to talk about is by Dr. Alexandra Solomon. I will 
link to all of these creators, Instagrams in the show notes. So if you want to follow them, I highly recommend that you follow all these accounts because they're some of the most insightful and inspirational people I follow. This first post by Dr. Solomon touched me because of how reactive I've been in the past when someone tells me no, or when I have to say no to someone else. So I'll read the caption of this post, which is what touched me the most. Dr. Solomon says, no is not always a rejection. No sometimes reflects the depth of someone's devotion to a relationship, a way of saying, I love us too much to acquiesce in the name of appeasement. Healthy relationships are infused with both heartfelt yeses and loving noes. Here's an example. If I ask something of you and you say yes with your mouth while the rest of your body silently screams no, guess what's going to happen? Resentment is going to build. As resentment builds, your wide open heart the one I so cherish, will begin to close in self-protection. You'll pull away from me, shut down, retreat. Resentment erodes authentic connection. In order to love me fully, you must be able to say no to me without guilt and without fear of retaliation. Your work is to speak your no with love and clarity. My work is to handle whatever your no stirs in me. In the face of your loving, healthy, boundaried no, you might feel the rise of a thousand old stories. I screwed up. I'm bad. I'm alone. I'm helpless. I'm too needy. People always leave me in the end. I might feel the string of tender feelings, sadness, shame, fear. My brave work is to sit with my stories and my feelings The more I can sit with my stuff, the less likely I am to act on my stuff, punishing you, withdrawing from you, begging you, etc. My commitment to practicing relational self-awareness in this way will be an open door to an understanding that your boundary may very well be an expression of love. I want to break down this post because it's so, so good. I encourage you to rewind and listen to that post multiple times. I have been very triggered by no's in the past, and I also have a lot of anxiety telling people no. I ask you now to reflect in your life about a time that you should have said no or wanted to say no, felt like you wanted to say no, but you just couldn't face the retaliation or what you thought would be retaliation from the other person if you did. I think about all the times that I slept with people when I probably would have rather said no, but I wanted them to like me, so I went ahead and did it anyway and then regretted it later. I think about all the times that I agreed to go to a party when I wish I would have rather said no, And then on the other hand, I think about all the times when my partner has had to tell me no or tell me that something I'm doing 
is upsetting them, put down a boundary. And I took that as rejection. I really love how Dr. Solomon is really giving us a lot to work through in this one caption on her post because A, we have to get familiar and comfortable with saying no and understanding that sometimes saying no is a full and true expression of love. And then we also have to get used to hearing no and not always taking this as an abandonment or, you know, a, a, a sign that someone doesn't love us. Your work is to speak your no with love and clarity. And my work is to handle whatever your no stirs in me. If someone rejects you, it's your work to handle whatever that stirs in you. So many of the regrets I have of my past BPD behavior has been directly related to my reactions, my explosive reactions to perceived abandonments, to rejections, and sometimes to things I perceived as a rejection that wasn't even really a rejection to begin with. So the more that we can embody that it is our responsibility to sit with our feelings and decide how we want to act on those and be really careful about how we act on those and to not always see other people's no's and rejections as a personal attack. Nine times out of 10, it's people doing the best they can with what they have. The next post I want to share with you is by Siru Chala. She is another of my favorite Instagram creators. She posted this a couple of days ago. It's some affirmations that I think will really resonate with all of you. So here's the post. Refuse to give up important parts of yourself because other people don't value them. Refuse to adapt to ways of being that go against every fiber of who you are. Refuse to make yourself small because other people lack the courage to expand. Refuse to explain yourself to people who seek to misunderstand. Refuse to be meek when you were born to be fierce. Refuse to be silent when you have something to say. Refuse to be shamed when you've done nothing wrong. Refuse to look at the world through a lens that is forced on you. Refuse to entertain those who abuse your time. Refuse. The next post is by a creator named Elwing Bling on Instagram. As I said before, I'm going to link to these posts because this post in particular you'll want to look at. This creator creates poetry, but also these incredible illustrations to go along with their posts. But I'm going to read the copy because it struck such a chord with me this week. So the caption reads, just because it's understandable, just because it served a purpose in the past, just because I was used to it doesn't mean I have to keep it. Letting it go to let me try to fully live. I love this post mainly because it talks about the cycles we get caught in. I'm not sure if this creator has BPD, but it certainly resonates with me as someone with BPD. The text of the post reads like this. My sarcasm, my blasé unaffectedness, 
my dismissal of things others were interested in, my being untouched, unfazed, my extremes of oversharing and then running and shutting down were all developed trauma response defense mechanisms that blocked my blessings for so long. My fear of being criticized, of abandonment, of being neglected, of others being angry at me, of being attacked, of being unloved, is a prison. Fear of being undervalued, mistreated, taken for granted, having my magic light abused or ignored has led me to do things I'm ashamed of and deeply regret. Find the reasons, patterns, roots, and free yourself from those that do not serve you. My worth, my safety, my life was contingent on keeping up with a dizzying amount of information on others' feelings, moods, and demands. Now, I just want to be. Swept up and down by other people's storms, tossed about by other people's waves, taught me to create my own natural disasters. I'm working hard now to stay on solid ground. How deep is your well? And what are your tears watering? Sometimes we have to wear the mask to keep who and what we really are safe. Sometimes the mask takes over and we can't remember what's real anymore. I ate what was given from poisoned soil. Now I search for new fields to sow and harvest, careful not to bring in old poisons. Sometimes we pick up the words used against us and we remake them into our own to heal and empower and protect our souls. Now, as we gear up to talk about the FP relationship, the favorite person relationship, that's such a buzzword in the BPD community. The next post I'm sharing is by a creator called Holistically Grace, and she's talking about toxic cycles. And as we start talking about the favorite person, the favorite person relationship in BPD essentially represents the toxic and unhealthy attachments that we develop with other people in our adolescent and adult lives after we have experienced abandonment trauma as children. And we continue to repeat these <laughs> unhealthy relationship patterns? Have you found yourself as someone with BPD chasing after the same unavailable people over and over again, constantly putting your entire being and you're wrapping up your entire identity around another person only to have them reject you and leave. And then you feel like you're building your life over from scratch again, and you don't know who you are anymore. That's the essence of the FP relationship and what it boils down to. I want to get down to the root cause of all of our issues here with BPD. It's so easy to make a meme about an FP. It's so easy to say the definition of FP and read some things off about it, but we need to get down to the core of the problem, clean out that deep, deep original wound to find out how we can break free from the FP relationship. So this post by Holistically Grace starts off by saying, you're not crazy for constantly finding yourself in toxic cycles. Here's why. One of the primary functions of the brain is to use the past to predict the future. 
It's constantly referencing previous experiences, cycles, and patterns to anticipate what comes next or what's most likely to happen. It's trying to create a sense of control and fulfill another function, survival. If, as a child, you experienced inconsistent patterns of caretaking, lack of security and love, your brain created an insecure blueprint for intimate bonds. If a communication was confusing, frightening, and rooted in shame, your brain learned and created points of reference. If basic needs were not met, again, your brain learned and adapted by expecting very little. Unfortunately, there is also a tendency for these patterns to continue into adulthood as you may find yourself in a sort of self-fulfilling prophecy, seeking what's familiar to you. You reach out for what feels normal, what your brain has already seen before, what it has been conditioned to expect. If you have never or rarely experienced safety, care, and consistency in relationships, it's very hard for your brain to believe or predict that these dynamics are even possible. There just isn't enough information for the brain to pull from. And when you see others having these types of interactions, you think it's possible for others, but not for you, like something's wrong with you. So what can you do? First, become aware of these cycles. Notice how and where they're repeating. Second, look at the relationship you have with yourself. Provide the basics that you were not given. Kindness, consistency, safety. Make a list of personal vows to make and keep. Third, create new data, experiences for your brain to draw from. Set standards Seek out nourishing connections that will become the new norm and filter out the rest. The caption of this post says, Your brain makes sense. You make sense. And our brain has the capacity to unlearn and relearn once it's provided with new data and reference points. Give your brain new information. Repeat what works. Repeat what feels good. Repeat what you want more of. Discard what isn't working. Discard what's constantly hurting you. Discard what you want less of. Is this hard? Yes. Can we do hard things? Yes. Will we have to do this a million times until it feels normal? Also, yes. Keep going. You and your brain have got this. This post speaks so powerfully to the core issues of BPD. And again, she may not be speaking directly to people with BPD, but this is something we need to embody. You feel so desperately rejected. You find yourself in these constant patterns because it's what your brain learned when you were young and our brains can only repeat what we know. If you're used to begging for crumbs of love from people, and clinging onto those and thinking that's what love is, then you're going to keep repeating that. But we can retrain our brains to want something different. But in order to do that, we have to start somewhere. We have to start by deciding what makes you feel good? What makes you feel rejected? Are there people that you need to start slowly fading out of your life? Are you wrapping your entire identity in other people? What do you want? What matters to you? 
What are your values? What will you, do you want to accept and what do you no longer want to accept in your life? Losing people when you have BPD, whether that's through a breakup, death, moving, anything, abandon, actual genuine abandonment, losing your favorite person or the person you have a primary connection to is one of the most painful experiences in the world when you have BPD. And this post that I found by Create the Love nails this feeling so profoundly, and I'm going to read you their words. We often conflate letting go of a person with letting go of the feeling of love. Like if we lose love, we accept the loss of them. What we're actually learning to let go of is the object of love. When we long for a past lover, we're blocking ourselves from receiving the essence of love that we long for. Our love was never meant to be trapped in the confines of one person. Love is meant to teach us. It's meant to prepare us for the connection that's in our highest alignment. Imagine if the person you long for was actually meant to teach you not to place your longing in them. To teach you that love is not meant to hold yourself and another in a prison of a story that refuses to be written. We must learn to write the story trying to flow through us, not force a story that will only ever end in heartbreak. You are the writer and your future lover, even your current partner, need to pick up the pen and start writing the story, the one where you're liberated. Channel your longing into creating. Move from the feeling of missing something to being excited for its arrival. Take all the love you miss and gather it up and carry it forward, excited to share it with the world. The love doesn't go anywhere. What you do with it changes. We get so trapped in the past and how it has to look that we miss all the beautiful ways it shows up in every moment and is trying to be born through our hearts in the trees, the leaves, the water, the butterflies, the soil, the food, your smile, your heartbeat, all of it. You are surrounded by love. The real question is, where will you direct your love? So I want us to think about that as we start talking about the FP relationship. Where do you want to direct your love? Have you been directing your love in the right direction? Have you saved any of your love for yourself? If you're anything like me, chances are probably not. And I know a lot of people hate this phrase. If you can't love yourself, how are you going to love someone else? Because someone else should be able to love you even if you don't love yourself, of course. I think that's why a lot of people don't like that phrase. But I still like that phrase. And as I've said before on the podcast, my favorite human being in the world, RuPaul Charles, says that at the end of every episode of RuPaul's Drag Race. And I just think it's powerful because self-love is everything. And when we develop these repetitive, unhealthy, toxic, super attached relationships with people that become our FP, our favorite person, I guarantee you 
that there is not a shred of love or respect for ourselves. And it is impossible to create a real, authentic, intimate, supportive relationship when we don't have a shred of love for ourselves. Yes, these relationships might cling on. You may be lucky enough even to be with a good person like I was in the last couple of years. But we sabotage those good connections. We wear out these good people that we're with, with these destructive patterns. And we're going to learn together how to get to the core of those patterns so that we can heal those wounds and begin to really know what real, safe, trusting intimacy feels like. And let me tell you, it's okay that you don't know how to do this. I didn't know how. I'm just learning how at age 31. It's never too late to learn. It will save your life if you learn. Because love, finding love and connection, I do agree with you. That's everything. You want that. I'm not going to lie to you and say you want to be alone forever because nobody wants that. But so many of us resign ourselves to potentially being alone forever because we just cannot see a path to making love not hurt. Love, I used to associate love with just fucking pain, quite frankly. And if you're the same, it's because that's all you ever knew, even in your earliest childhood relationships. What you saw around you was love hurting, love being conditional, you only being lovable when you acted a certain way or did a certain thing or didn't do or shut down aspects of who you were. And so it only makes sense that we continue doing this in our adulthood. And some people are a little freaked out and scared by the way we interact with others because some people, as crazy as this is to imagine for my listeners out here, some people grew up with parents who welcomed them in the world and demonstrated really healthy relationships and and a healthy relationship with themselves so that they had enough in their cup to give to others and they give their children unconditional love and room to room and room to grow and expand and learn. And as I'm saying this out loud, so many of you I know are like, what the fuck does, I wonder what that would feel like. <laughs> yeah, it's foreign territory for so many of us. And because of that, we are frozen in time, still repeating these patterns that we saw growing up. But there is hope because I have beautiful news for you. We're adults now and that's not our reality anymore. The favorite person phenomenon is nothing more than cycles being repeated in a way that is a desperate attempt at intimacy, but at the same time is like intimacy repellent. So the good news is, is we know that this doesn't work (laughs) and I've done enough research and I know how to fix it. I'm really confident in that now and we're going to do it together. But before we know how to fix it, we have to know what's a favorite person in the BPD community. Now, if you are just recently diagnosed, maybe you don't know, but my guess is the majority of the listeners have heard the term FP or favorite person thrown around so often on Instagram, Reddit, it's everywhere in the BPD community. So favorite persons are a hot topic 
among the borderline personality disorder community. And I found this article by Scott Broom on medium.com. Medium.com. It sounds like I'm saying (laughs) google.com. But he does an incredible job of describing what an FP is. So I'm going to read a little bit from this article and also react to it. So a favorite person is one person in a BPD sufferer's life that they cannot function without. In most instances, favorite persons are crushes, partners, friends, or other people who the person with BPD interacts with in their life. By the way, if you've seen PWBPD, that's a shorthand on Reddit, on different places, on Instagram content, you'll often see PWBPD. That stands with person with BPD. So the more you a lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. You know, <laughs> the favorite person term is unique to the BPD community because of the unhealthy attachment the person with BPD has towards their favorite person. So that is the most important part here is that this is an unhealthy attachment. You'll so often see people on Instagram saying, my FP making a cute meme. So sad my FP didn't text me back. Like I get so sad when I see the fetishization or romanticism behind like the memes and way that we discuss the FP relationship in the wider BPD community. I think it's not helpful because at the underbelly of this term, it's a toxic and unhealthy attachment. Having a favorite person doesn't mean that someone has BPD, but it's very common for someone with BPD to have a favorite person. Makes sense? So some of the symptoms of BPD that are related to having an FP include unstable relationships and our old favorite fear of abandonment. These two factors are what complicates the relationship between someone with BPD and their favorite person. So here's how favorite persons often differ from a healthy type of relationship. So first, it's probably an unhealthy FP relationship if this person strongly influences your emotions and actions. So The author of the article says, at any time of the day, anywhere, something my FP says or does can change my mood rapidly. 
If I don't hear from them for a few hours, I'm completely stressed out. If I say something vulnerable and they ghost me for a day, I've most likely gone through four stages of grief in that one day. Okay, how many of us can relate to this? When I tell you that I will have like an entire soap opera episode of my own back in the day when I would be carrying on FP style relationships. So this could be a guy that I had gone on two dates with. Maybe we, I've already built up in my mind that we for sure are going to get married and have kids and he has a stable job. So I know this is going to work out and I'm planning everything in my mind. And this is our third date. And if they're not texting me that week, how many of you have gotten this shook over an early relationship that you quite literally don't hear from this person that you've only maybe been on two or three dates with, but because of the importance you have placed on them and because of how much of your day and mental headspace you allow this person, (laughs) you have quite literally made hell for yourself. You wake up in the morning and you're thinking about if they're going to text you. And when this author says that they have gone through four stages of grief in one day, that just touches me to my core because absolutely. If I have been thinking about this person that I barely know texting me from morning until nighttime, I would get myself so fucking worked up. I'd be anxiety in the morning and then I'd be like, okay, they'll text me. I know they will. The anxiety slowly rising, just like a thermometer throughout the day. I'd text other friends and say, what do you think? Taking screenshots of the last thing that he had said to me, sending it to my friends for an in-depth analysis of if I, do you think that he meant this, that, the other, my God, I'm just going to give us all like a tiny little breath right now. Cause I feel like we need it because you know that, you know, that feeling, you know, you've done it too. Imagine the days that you and me, listener, (laughs) have wasted waiting for that text from the person that we don't even know if they're like nice to their mom yet, (laughs) okay? We we may even, even not even know their last name yet. And it's like you are really allowing yourself to get to level 10 shook based upon three dates. Look at it. Look at that. Just look at it, right? So yeah, this is FP territory. This is when you know you're going into danger zone. So the author continues by saying, sometimes I can't even think of anything else or be productive that day because I'm so worried that my FP is moving out of my life. They sent me a text saying they were just working on a paper. Oh, okay. What was I thinking? I was planning out all the ways I would deal with my FP not loving me anymore. I'm so silly. Okay, this person says I'm so silly, but like I'm to here to tell us all like that's some dumb shit, <laughs> right? Because again, think about that a time when you, and by the way, your FP can be your sibling. It can be a parent. It could be um, just a best friend, but put yourself in the position where you've been waiting on a text or correspondence from someone and you've already like thought about all the ways that they probably died on the way to the store, or you're convinced that, um, you know, like that the last thing that you said to them, they're probably out ruminating about it and coming up, coming back home with ways to break up with you. (laughs) Like you've done this. We've all, we have all done this. And then you get the text from them where 
like at the end of the day, after you've just ruined your whole ass day with all your ruminations, or even just maybe an hour where you completely went from zero to a hundred. And then you get the text from them. That's like, Oh, I'm fine. Oh my God. Sorry. I didn't have my phone. I was doing X, Y, Z. And then, you know, the feeling where you're like, immediately everything is good in the world again. (laughs) You're like, ah, peace is restored. You know that feeling too, because your body just goes back into complete alignment when you get the text from them. That, my friend, is a bad sign. It means that you need to address the, the FP toxic situation. There is absolutely no reason why you should ever be that thrown off your axis by simply not having contact with another person. So the author continues, sometimes I basically feel like putty in my FP's hands. Whatever they're into, I'm into. And I know a lot of BPD sufferers do this too. We try to mesh well with our FP because the loss of them is so much to bear that we would almost do anything to keep them. A changing self-identity is a symptom of BPD and is very present within FP relationships. I have absolutely changed the way that I dress, the music I listen to, my general vibe when I've dated different types of people. Like when I was in my fuck boy phase dating in LA, I made myself more LA. I was getting lip injections. I dressed completely differently than to how I was dressing when I lived in London. Um, my hair would change, you know, um, my music taste the way I would speak even, if you find yourself doing this kind of chameleon morphing thing based upon the person you're dating, or maybe you become super outdoorsy, you were an outdoorsy, um, you decide to like go all in on being outdoorsy because you're dating an outdoorsy person. And there are good ways to share interests with people. For example, in my relationship with Zaz, he encouraged me to try camping a couple of times. Um, I grew up camping and so I was kind of burned out on it and Zaz encouraged me to go and together we are now kind of exploring what camping looks like for us and if we can maybe go do shorter camping trips. And now I'm seeing that I really miss the beauty of the outdoors. Now, I don't want to change who I am for Zaz who really likes camping and going off-roading and stuff like this. I could become like a full on off-roading girl and Zaz would probably be, have loved that if that was authentic to me, but it's just not who I am. But now I want to find the beauty and fun in it and see if there's a natural way we can uh, enjoy that thing together. Now, when I contrast that to me <laughs> getting lip injections and changing the way I dress because just because I was dating some guy in LA that was like a hip hop producer, right? I am changing entirely who I am Uh to fit into these boxes. And when I look at the boxes I tried to fit in for just friendships and relationships, I now sit back and what I've done is I've realized 
I need to sit down and think about what are the things before I was worried about what other people thought, which it's really hard to get back to that point for many of us. It's like, I've based so much of my life around what other people think of me and if people like me, that it's hard for me to remember a time when I genuinely just enjoyed things for the the sake of enjoying them. And when I got serious about that, it was really illuminating. And I actually encourage each of you to do that as well. Sit down and think about a time when you were really, really young. When you were young, what are the things that you just like lost track of time doing? For me, that was really probably what a lot of people would call nerdy stuff. And for me, I disowned my nerdy self very early on because I saw that it was better to be a pretty girl and be sexy. And so I tried to force myself into that box and I did everything, everything I did basically circulated around trying to get some type of attention from the opposite sex. And when I let my nerd out, I would get rejected. And growing up in the nineties and stuff, there was a whole lot of like dweeb, nerd, overachiever, that type of messaging that I would get very early on. And I very quickly saw that, oh, being like smart as a girl and kind of a tomboy, that's not cool. (laughs) So I need to like quickly learn how to be hot. And then also boys like it when you act kind of like dumb and cute. And I was fiery and smart and wanted to learn and was a nerd. And that got me really rejected as a child. I remember it very clearly. I loved Harry Potter. I would get lost. I would wait in line for the new Harry Potter book to come out. The first Harry Potter book came out when I was 11 years old. And so Harry, as you know, if you're a Harry Potter nerd like me, yes, I'm a millennial. I'm a true millennial in the sense that I love Harry Potter, but I'm not a true millennial. And the fact that I think side parts are better than middle parts, middle parts are superior. So I loved reading. I would join even reading contests at the library. I won young authors competition because I wrote a story, I think when I was like in sixth grade about my own retelling of the myth of Isis and Osiris in ancient Egypt. And so needless to say, that isn't like, you know, hot girl shit. (laughs) And so I remember very clearly moving from my very small elementary school um, in sixth grade um, to seventh grade. And when I think back about that time in my life, I was 12 in sixth grade when 9-11 happened. And then right after 9-11, I go into from my very, very small elementary school to seventh grade at the big junior high school where there are ages, you know, for, uh, 13 to 15 year olds there. And I think the, my childhood shit, just my home life and the environment at home combined with the intensely traumatic experience of nine 11 combined with the drastic change into junior high. When I really think back on that, I also think how much a part that played in the development of BPD for me. And I encourage all of you to do this as well is think back, like what were the timelines? When I moved into junior high, I suffered extreme bullying. 
I learned right away that I needed to try to be pretty really fast because I had boys making fun of the size of my chest. I experienced a girl putting a voodoo doll of a Barbie doll in my locker with some really fucked up shit written all over it. I had extremely tear-ridden nights in my bedroom being violently bullied by anonymous groups of girls online through AOL Instant Messenger. For those of us who lived through the AOL Instant Messenger phase, listen, Gen Z, like we get you, but imagine it being like all brand new. No one was talking about anti-bullying. No one was policing it. The adults around had no idea what the fuck was going on. It was the wild, wild west of fucking social media. And I think back in that time and I'm like, no wonder I developed BPD. Not only we don't talk enough about what happens at school and what happened on the internet in the development. And that's the thing I want to change with, uh, you know, I want to partner with researchers and um, people in the academic field that are studying BPD and talk more about that, about the impact that that had on like millennial aged people. And if that contributed because the vast amount of bullying that happened on AOL instant messenger, I remember multiple times. Think about if you're a millennial, there were so many occasions at school where there would be drastic meltdowns by people and you'd have pages and pages of uh, print-offs of AOL Instant Messenger conversations and people would get in trouble based upon that. There was horrible shit going on on instant uh, AOL Instant Messenger. So needless to say, when I entered junior high school, it was very clear to me that my nerdy love to learn um, entering writing competitions, like that was going to get me viciously rejected. The first birthday party I had um, where I had girls from school over, I thought that my Harry Potter bedroom, I had my dad build me like a four poster bed, just like Harry Potter's. And I had all the books. I had my room painted in the colors of Gryffindor. And I remember the girls at my party coming in and I was so proud to show off my bedroom. And I remember the looks that they were giving each other. And you know, as a teenage girl, it just gives me shivers down my spine. Like, you know, when you know people are talking about you. It is just the most devastating thing. Being a teenager is so fucking hard. And if you are a parent that has a child with BPD and you're listening to this, if you are a teenager right now listening to this, if you are a person with BPD, give yourself some credit. Do you remember? Remember how hard it is to be a teenager. And also think back on these times because A, what did you love doing when you were a child? Were those things you had to disown to try to get people to like you? Because identifying this is huge, giving our childhood self compassion because of how hard that was to deal with. There was no room for me to excel in school. Yeah, I got A's. I was an overachiever, but I didn't find love in learning. I didn't continue writing for fun anymore because I was trying to just survive. So ask yourself, and it's probably around junior high when many of us with BPD can start to see the emergence of many of our first FP relationships. Think about that. When did you meet your first FP? 
And as you reflect on this, we're going to talk about the dangers of FP relationships. The first danger to these toxic relationships are that it leads to extreme codependence. The person with BPD becomes so attached to their FP that they cannot go without talking to them or seeing them. Self-harm, suicidal ideations, and suicide attempts can occur, especially if one, a breakup happens, or two, the person with BPD is tired of their emotional life being tied to one person. Next, to the FP, this can lead to them not being able to set healthy boundaries and cause them to feel trapped or clung to and break the relationship off. Almost everyone on earth needs alone time from time to time with some people needing it most of the time. So when we have these FP relationships, when you think back to maybe what was your first best friend in junior high, what was your first relationship that you had? Did you have these extremely clinging behaviors? Did you see them, you know, yourself not being able to go without talking or seeing to them, analyzing every facial expression they made, and then them kind of pulling away from you? Because if you think about it, it makes sense that that, um, an emotionally regulated person would probably see that as a red flag and want to detach. That's the healthy thing to probably do is pull back to get some space. And then those of us with BPD, we push, we push, we push, and then they break it off and we're devastated and we go, see, this is proving to us that it proves to us that we're always going to be alone. Do you see how this is just one of those toxic patterns? Do you see why I selected the Instagram posts that I did? All of this ties back. So another way we can tell if someone is an FP, if a relationship is an unhealthy FP relationship is if these people in our lives are able to exploit our attachment and treat us poorly. So the author here says, I've been in situations where an FP has caused me to do things that I would have never have done previously, both good and bad. I absolutely hate lying and I almost never do it, but sometimes to save a relationship with my FP, I'll lie. If I think that the lie I'm about to tell will keep my FP from leaving me, I'll probably tell it. Most rational thought goes out the window when the abandonment impending signal in my brain goes off. Favorite persons usually know that the person would do anything for them, meaning almost literally anything because BPD is generally based on abandonment experiences. We don't want to lose anyone close to us, especially not someone we've grown so close to. FPs who are bad people toxic people can exploit this and cause a dangerous situation. The dangers of this are one, the person with BPD and or the FP can end up physically and emotionally damaged or abused. And it reinforces the irrational monologue. Most of us with BPD have that in order to keep people we love in our lives, we must bend ourselves to their will. This is absolutely not true. And if any of you feel this way, it is so important for you to know this. You do not have to change who you are for people to love you. The bottom line is that relationships like this are not healthy. Yes, people with BPD do struggle with feelings of abandonment and apprehension about abandonment in the future, 
but physical violence and any other type of abuse can't be excused no matter what. And if you're in the boat where you know that your attachment to your FP is unhealthy, and if it's negatively affecting you and them, there are ways you can change it. And how we do that is yes, through therapy, but even if you don't have access to therapy, you can do what I'm suggesting on this episode that you do. Number one, think about the things that brought you so much joy in childhood. What made you lose time, right? What did you just lose track of time because you had so much fun doing it? And then ask yourself, did you reject those parts of yourself along the way? And where in your life can you pinpoint a time when you rejected those parts of you, the the activities that brought you so much joy? Then I want you to think about who was the first relationship you had. Was it an elementary school friend, first partner, boyfriend, girlfriend? What was it? A sibling? What was your first FP attachment? And then fourth thing I want you to do, or maybe this is fifth, I've lost track, but it doesn't matter. Think about how you might be repeating those patterns in your adult life. And think about how you can maybe incorporate, reincorporate some of these activities you loved to do when you were younger, that that you lost time doing. How can you reincorporate those in your life again? Maybe you loved writing. Maybe you loved painting, drawing. Maybe you loved journaling. Maybe you loved playing video games. Do something and lose yourself in it with childlike abandon. Ideally, it's like a hobby or something, you know, which is like writing, you know, uh, reading novels. I, I'm sh- there are video games that are so fun. I'm a video game nerd myself. Life is Strange is one of my favorite games, by the way, for you, uh, those of you who are gamers. Um, but it's good to have something that removes you from technology that you can like actively like create something. So just think about that at the core of the FP relationship and at the core of BPD at the core of any mental health struggle, there is what is called the original pain. And I mentioned John Bradshaw at the beginning of the podcast, who's the author of healing the shame that binds you. He actually passed away in 2016, but all throughout his career, he did work on toxic shame. He believed that toxic shame was the reason for addictive behaviors, for personality disorders like BPD. And he worked a lot with people who have what's called CPTSD, childhood PTSD. We're going to be going more deeply into that in future episodes. But if you have BPD, you will absolutely resonate with concepts from CPTSD. And I also believe we're going to be hearing a lot more about this in the coming years from research teams and other people in academia, because it's still a fairly new thing. So John Bradshaw did with people what's called original pain work. He also filmed workshops that he did with people. And I came across this old clip 
That is from a John Bradshaw seminar. And the clip is of Kip Flock. He's the clinical director of treatment at Ingleside Hospital, which is one of the treatment facilities that John Bradshaw um, oversaw. And a group of people volunteered to do some original pain work. And these are individuals who suffer from personality disorders and childhood PTSD, all different types of mental health struggles. And a particular part of this gripped my heart just took it and just like I, it resonated with me so much. I broke down in tears. So I'm preparing you that this is really emotional. And I believe it is so perfect to share for the first FP episode that we're doing because our toxic relationship cycles and the romantic relationships that we find ourselves in now all stem from what John Bradshaw calls the original pain or what another author who I love so much, Pete Walker, calls the abandonment melange. And the crappy childhood fairy on YouTube also often quotes Pete Walker's work. So other authors sometimes call this the mother wound, the father wound, the original pain. It's essential work for any of us in life, not just those of us with BPD, to reflect upon that original pain concept and to help you start thinking about this. I wanted to play this clip from the work that Kip Flock is doing. This clip is from the early 90s. It's really, really old, but it's a group of these people who have various mental health struggles. And the clip that we're going to listen to is a woman speaking, and her name is Cindy. Kip begins talking to her, and she's telling him that she feels hopeless and that her mother will never love her for who she is. And this is the perfect expression of the core spiritual wounds that a lot of us suffer with and the reason why we continue to repeat FP relationship toxic BPD behaviors. So I'm going to play this clip of Kip's work with Cindy, and I want you to listen and really be mindful of the feelings that come up for you when you hear Cindy speak. It just seems hopeless sometimes. Say more about the hopeless. I just feel hopeless that... My mother's just, she's never going to accept me for who I am. And and never, that I just won't be able to get her voice out of my head. And say what the voice is saying, the mother's That you do everything for attention. And that you've caused all the problems in the family. And you're a bad person. Okay. So it's important to know that Kip, the facilitator of this conversation, has been working with this group for hours before this recording has taken place. So this is just a small part of the conversation. But what you'll hear next is Cindy beginning to role play her mother's critical shaming voice. And next, Kip encourages her to directly answer that critical voice as herself. 
And now I know this sounds a little out of the box. Like you're going to be like, Molly, this is some woo woo shit. And it can seem like Cindy is hypnotized, but she's actually not. This is an actual therapeutic technique that helps clients go deep into an age regression. And what you'll see is Cindy going into, or here rather, is Cindy going into this age regression and giving voice to her shamed inner child for the first time in her life. It is incredibly powerful. So again, let's listen to the second part of this work. And I ask you to be mindful of the feelings that come up for you. Breathe with them, sit through them. This is some of the best work we can do in our life is be exposed to this. So let's see the next part of Cindy's work with Kip. Just allow yourself to be inside now and say how old you are as you're talking to mother. Okay, be five years old. Tell her what she does to you at five to change you. You shame and you yell at me. And you punish me. You say I'm a bad girl. And you ignore me and just leave me alone to cry. You never, you don't hug me or comfort me. I'm just so tired of it. And I'm angry at you for that. And I'm angry at you for that. Is that true? I'm angry that you're not acting like you're supposed to. You're not acting like the mother you're supposed to act like. Good. 
So that watching that and listening to that, it always makes me really emotional and I'm tearing up now. And I know that's hard to listen to for some, but again, I always am going to commit to bring each, bringing each and every one of you just the most hard hitting shit. That is not easy to listen to and watch. What came up for you when you heard that? And what the beating sounds you heard was this was Cindy taking a pillow and she was just hitting the ground with the pillow. No, no one was hurt in the harm of this. This was just her expressing her anger and Kip was giving her just a little bit of encouragement and asking her to, you know, really express her anger. Now, what she was expressing and she said she brought up, she was angry with her mother for not protecting her from her father's abuse and really letting this out. This type of work has been some of the most healing and powerful work I've done so far. And it's been free and it's been on my own following these this this guidance and expressing your anger in a healthy way and yelling out the feelings that you had and finally giving voice to that inner child and telling that critical inner parent that you can't hurt me anymore i'm an adult now it is so freeing and i can tell you that it has been proven 10 ways to sunday how beneficial it is to just scream, hit a pillow. Some of the best things I've done is taking a pillow out into my car and just like really getting into the mindset of my inner child and just screaming out all the things that I want to scream. If I feel like I want to cry, I'll just have a really good cry. Letting these feelings out is so important. Identifying that original pain is so important. And not only that, you know, you hear people say, sit with it. You ask me how to sit with it. I just played it for you. That's how you sit with it. And you can have a friend with you. Uh, if um, you want to do this work, you can do it alone. I prefer to do it alone. But I also say, be mindful of where you're at. Also, the best type of thing to do is to do this with a therapist. If you have a therapist, ask them if they'd be willing to do this type of work with you. If you don't feel like it's safe to do this, I ask you again, everything I tell you, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a therapist. I'm just telling you what's worked for me. You have to do what works for you. So if you don't feel comfortable doing this work, that's okay too. I just want to make that very, very clear. This is not medical advice and I don't take responsibility for any type of flustered state anyone gets into because it's not easy work. So if you're expecting it to be easy, you will cry, but then I can guarantee you, well, actually, no, I can't make any guarantees, but for me and for the people that I know that have done this work, it's like a weight is off of you. It's like things that you've been wanting to shed for all the years of your life that you just feel, feel like this weight is on you, these kind of start to go away. I've started to feel like I'm more peaceful in myself now. So this was a heavy one. And it's like I said, you know, we can talk and keep it light with FP memes, or we can talk about what the real cause of the FP relationship is. We can talk to the source, which is 
the original pain, the spiritual wound, the mother wound, the father wound, however you want to refer to it. I encourage you to reflect on the things that we talked about today. Maybe you need to listen to this episode again. Um, If you loved these clips of the different work that I found of John Bradshaw's, if you want to go even deeper, I'm going to be getting into it on Patreon. I'm going to be sharing uh, full clips like that. If you want to watch like an hour and a half long workshop, I'm going to be sharing all my resources on the Patreon. I'm going to be making PDF walkthroughs and guides of how to do this type of imagery on Koji. So I want to make tools available for you so that you can begin doing this work. But above all else, remember first and foremost, that you are not broken. There is nothing wrong with you. We've got tools now. And I am here as like a BPD big sister, a living example of if you're consistent and you really do this work, you will start to feel what people describe as self-love, of confidence, of knowing what you want and who you are. And you won't be so shaken and thrown off your axis by other people. You'll start to develop relationships and attract people naturally into your life that are on the same wavelength and it doesn't feel like work as much. Relationships are always work, but it should be equal on both ends and it should also be reciprocal on both ends. Our next episode is going to be an interview with one of my favorite human beings, that I've met in my travels in the world, Jared Gelman. He is a songwriter, creative extraordinaire based in LA, and he has BPD and is just full of incredible stories. So get geared up for that for next week. But until then, thank you all so much. You're so welcome in the world. You're so deserving of love. Now, get out there and create some love of your own. All right, you messy, amazing, emotional, fabulous human beings doing this life thing. That is it for today's episode. I want to thank you so much for listening because out of all the millions, billions of podcasts in the world, you chose to listen to mine. And that means a lot to me. And if you listen this far, I know you never want to miss a new episode. So to make sure that doesn't happen, click follow in your podcast player of choice and you will be alerted every time I drop a new one. To help me grow and help the podcast reach as many people as possible, go ahead and leave an honest rating and review. Not only that, I love to hear your feedback, so please share it with me. I read every single review and you just might hear it read out loud on the podcast. To connect with me directly, follow me on social media and keep up with all the new updates. You can find that all at backfromtheborderline.com. And as always, any articles, resources, or other helpful information you've heard today can be found in the description of this podcast episode. So don't forget to check out the show notes. And until we meet again, remember, life is a circle, a cycle, a process, separation, initiation, return. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. 
Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Back from the Borderline. If you'd like to receive my monthly written recovery musings via Substack directly to your inbox, send me a voicemail, join the Patreon community, or check out my Amazon booklist recommendations, visit backfromtheborderline.com and click to access my link tree.